Hi, this is Stephen Ambrose, Senior Pastor at Wapak Naz. I want to welcome you to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope and pray that this message goes deep into your DNA, is encouraging, relevant to your life, a means for you to engage with God and experience His love, and moves you to impact your world. We at Wapak Naz believe firmly that you matter to God. We are glad that you are taking the risk to engage with Him today. Wapak Naz is love people, loving people to Jesus, and it takes people to partner with us to be on mission and bring this message to our community, the region, and the world. If you would like to financially partner with Wapak Naz to love people to Jesus, join us by going to our website at wapaknaz.org and becoming a financial partner. We thank you, we pray for you, we love you, and enjoy the message. Y'all are half asleep. Y'all stayed up and watched the game, didn't you? I'm sorry. I really am. My heart was broken too. We can have a moment of silence for the loss. Man, hey, uh, I I do want to share some victories with you. Um, One, last week, uh, um, last Sunday, we we had uh, the Family Life Center here. And uh, we presented them with the check uh, from our Christmas challenge. And we were just a bit shy uh, of the, in the check, just a bit shy of of the 2,000 that we were set to raise. And um, even with the promise of the $600 through through the next six months. Then on top of that, last Sunday we went over the top. Some, some of you continued to give even after we gave the check. And we, we did hit hit our goal. Uh, of $2,000, and I just want to say thank you. Um, I, I, I learned a lesson this year, uh, just in this Christmas challenge, is that um, bringing those folks in um, so that you get to know them and that they're able to share with you their passion, um, their ministry, um, and, and these agencies within our own community um, that are doing work that we can partner with. The other goal that I, I want to share with you is uh, this past week, we, we've hit our goal of, of uh, above our goal of 50 baseball gloves for Cuba. And uh, I just, I want to, yeah, man. So that's at least 50, I, I believe 54 kids that we're going to be able to bless when we go to Cuba here in about a week or so. Um, and that we're going to be able to see the, their face light up um, these ball gloves, many of you have had sitting around your house, and they've been dusting like mine since I was 11 years old. Um, and and it's been not only a Wapak Naz effort; it's been a community effort. People from the Wapak Athletic Club, people from within our community, um, Wapak, and all throughout our area. And so this is this has been bigger than just Wapak Naz. It's it's been a community effort, and I I'm just thrilled and uh, excited about that. And isn't it fitting that uh, as we're about to exit 2019 and enter into 2020 that we're going to wrap up our series, uh, Entrances and Exits, talking about um, Christ's entrance and his epic exit and his grand entrance through the resurrection. Um, at, at Winans, we, we have actually unintentionally um, found a way to figure out who are the new customers uh, at Winans. Here's the secret. <clears throat> when you're constructing, you ask your contractor to order two doors, one for your apartment and one for your 
storefront. And the only difference between the two doors is one has a frosted window and the other has a transparent window. Put in said frosted door for your apartment and put in said transparent door for your storefront. Hang a sign that says apartment only, store entrance with an arrow that way. And when it falls, because it really didn't matter if it was up or not, don't put it back up. Sit at the front table in the store and just sit and wait. Because you'll watch and you'll see the new customer try to enter the storefront through the apartment door. And they'll look at you sitting at that table in the storefront with a very confused look on, how do I get in there? And then you point to the other door. Isn't it interesting that that businesses don't have illuminated entrance signs above their front doors? I mean, they may have the open sign in the window, but I have never seen an illuminated entrance sign because who needs an emergency entrance? I mean, unless you have your bladder is full and you need to use the restroom. And in that case, you really need an illuminated restroom sign with a big arrow saying here. Uh, happened to me many times. But there's no need for an emergency entrance sign. But see, this Christmas season, we've learned that, that God has actually given us an illuminated entrance sign. A virgin will be with child and will give birth. And you will name him Emmanuel. God with us. Several hundred years, at least seven, before Jesus' entrance into our atmosphere, before he made that stride across the cosmos, there was this illuminated entrance sign that God put for not only the people of Israel, but humanity, and dare I say, for Wapakoneta, for you and me. A virgin will be with child. A miraculous sign nonetheless. And if you've heard this scripture over and over, you might feel like this scripture just kind of loses its luster and loses its power, but it should never, ever lose that power, that miraculousness that it has. It was like a, a, a bright flash of lightning in the darkness, illuminating humanity to God is on the scene. He is here for us. But see, with this sign, I ask myself, why is this sign so important? We've been asking this question since week one. Why is this sign so important? And it even becomes more of a question when you begin to unpack the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you never find Jesus telling any one of his disciples, or anyone else for that matter, hey, remember my birth and celebrate it. I don't, I don't know if you know this, but I mean, he never asks us to celebrate his birth. He never says, commemorate my birth. I wonder if it's because Jesus probably didn't remember his birth. I mean, do you remember when you were born? I mean, if you did, I'm really curious to the story that you have to tell. 
I would be glad to buy lunch for you and sit with you and talk with you and listen. Because that would be a miraculous story if you remember you being born. I'm pretty sure none of us remember being born. And in fact, as you unpack the scriptures, most of what we learn about Jesus' birth probably comes from one person and one person only. His mom. Because of all the people, it's his mother who was at his birth. It's his mother who was alive during his ministry. It was his mother who was at the cross when Jesus died. And in fact, it was his mother who watched Jesus become astronaut Jesus and go up in the clouds and ascend to the right hand of the Father. She's been there the whole time. So why is this sign so important? Why is this entrance sign, this illuminated entrance sign, so important? Well, to be honest, it's because this entrance sign points, directly points to that epic exit of His crucifixion. It's this entrance sign that points directly to His resurrection. In fact, out of the creative mind and wonderful authorship of God, in writing this story of Jesus' entrance into humanity, from the moment that Gabriel mentioned or had that moment with Mary, all the way through, the miraculous escape to Egypt and his return, their return to Israel and Nazareth. That whole story points directly to his death and his resurrection. And not merely the surface types of things such as naked he came, naked he went. It's well beyond the fact that it was a borrowed bed in which he was born in and a borrowed tomb in which his body was laid. It's, it goes beyond the fact that the angel announced his birth and the angels announced his resurrection. It's, it's much deeper than that. And so this morning, we're going to take a small glimpse at his story. And probably not a portion of the birth story that we really even talk about much at all. We kind of glaze over every now and then. It's the story of the Epiphany, which will be celebrated here in a few days on the 6th of January. The Epiphany is, and that word Epiphany, it's one of those words that means depth of insight, a higher understanding, a life-changing understanding. And it's celebrated when we talk about the Magi the wise men that come and worship Jesus in that house and not that manger. So I'd ask that you open up the Scriptures to the book of Matthew. It's the first Gospel in the New Testament. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's to the right of Malachi. And just like the sign of His arrival, these signs pointing directly to His death and His resurrection aren't for God. 
They're for you. They're for me. They're for humanity. That we don't miss it. That in his entrance is his exit. And so, open up to Matthew chapter 2, or if you can pull out your iPhone or your iPad or your Android. And we're going to read verse 1. And it says, After Jesus was born in Bethlehem, in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. That's so good. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, where is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One, was to be born? Verse 5, in Bethlehem, in Judea, four words, that would be a great sermon, right? Four words, that's it. You're good to go. I'm pretty sure all of you would like that. That's not today's. For this is what the prophet has written, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi, secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go, make careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they heard the king, they went on their way. And the star and the star they had seen in the east went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, notice it's not a manger. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Verse 13. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child and kill him. Skip down to verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. And he gave orders to kill the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Would you mind bowing your heads for just one moment? Father, we, we come before you. We open up your truth, the Word of God. And we want to understand you and understand us through your word. I ask that your word and your spirit unpack us rather than us unpacking the word. May it do its job and what it's supposed to do. And this morning, my prayer and hope has been that 
that it ignites a fire within us that we become refined in the fire of your truth and of your presence. And that we act on what the word gives us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ this morning. Amen. The scripture says after Jesus was, um, that wasn't it, there it is. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east. This is another one of those moments in scripture that you you read like in Luke chapter 2, where Luke just starts to describe in the time of Caesar Augustus reigned. And the Roman governor, uh, Quirinius, reigned in Syria. These are those, those scriptures where you just like, just get to the point. But see, if we go into scripture with that type of thinking, we actually miss the point. Because like Luke, Matthew really drives the point that this is in time. This is in history. This is in a moment. And in a specific place, during the reign of a specific person, King Herod. And it says, after Jesus was born, unlike the nativities that you see are, that are depicted all over the world, see, the Magi did not come on the evening of Jesus' birth, like the shepherds did. In fact, this was at least 40 days later, if not months to a year later after Jesus' birth. Why do I say that? Because when you begin to look at the story, the Christmas story, eight days after Jesus is born, he was circumcised. And then 40 days after Jesus was born, he was taken to the temple to be dedicated. And we have that moment in the book of Luke. And so this is a moment that follows those 40 days. Because at the end of the story, we find that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus hightail it out of Israel. And they escape to Egypt and they become refugees in a foreign land. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, when during the time of King Herod, and this Herod was a narcissistic, paranoid individual. It has been said that it's better to be one of Herod's pigs than it was to be one of Herod's family because Herod was so paranoid that he offed many members of his family, including his wife. And so here come these magi from the east. It's this caravan. It's this massive first century entourage. It's not just three guys. We think that there's three guys because of the three gifts. Folks, we read a lot of things and impose a lot of things on Scripture that really aren't there. This is a massive entourage. Bigger than Biggie Smalls. Bigger than Tupac's. This is an entourage that take, makes notice, folks. And they come from the east. A land, probably Persia. Probably Parthia. It's a distant land. And these magi, these king makers and these king breakers, these aren't kings themselves, as the song depicts, we three kings from Orient. These are alchemists, 
astrologists. These are scholars and intellects. They look at the stars and they read the stars. They are medicinal magicians. In fact, we actually get the word magician and magic from this word magi. You never thought that there were magicians in the story of Jesus Christ's birth, but congratulations, there are. And they see a star because they read it in the sky. And I've often wondered why. Why does this star play such a role? It's because Romans chapter 1 talks about how since creation, God has put Himself in His own creation that no one, no one is left with excuse. Creation speaks of our God. And so, this star, and they follow the star from the east to the west, and they come to Jerusalem. This center of national identity, this center of spiritual identity, and who do they go? They go to King Herod, who himself has self-imposed this title, King of the Jews. And they ask him the question, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews. This question would send chills down the spine of King Herod because he, in his own mind, is king of the Jews. He has self-entitled that to him. What titles do you self-impose on you? And so, he doesn't know the answer. And so he goes to those who know, the chief priests and the teachers of the law. And it's interesting. They say in Bethlehem, in Judea, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. King Herod didn't know, so he goes to those who do. He asks the right questions. He asks the right people the right questions. And he gets the right answer. But in the story as we just read, what does he do? He pulls in the Magi and he sends them out, saying, you go, you find him, you worship him, then you come tell me so that I may go and worship him. See, this self-imposed king of the Jews is asked this question, by kingmakers and kingbreakers. They literally have a history of breaking kings or making kings in the land of Persia. And so for this entourage to show up on the doorstep of Jerusalem in Israel, something's afoot. And with a paranoid King Herod, he knows this is disturbing news. There is a disturbance in the force, right? And his paranoia gets the best of him. Have you ever noticed that fear fear freezes you? 
It freezes you from moving when you know you should move. It gets the best of us, doesn't it? Our anxiety. We create narratives and stories in our own mind, and we believe them to be true. Herod himself has done that. He's created a narrative in his own mind and believes it to be true. And so, in his fear, he freezes and he sends somebody else to do his bidding. I ask myself the question, why didn't he go with them? Why would he not go? Atheists. Atheists who do not believe in God fear that if the truth of God is actually real and manifested in the person of Jesus Christ, in his life, his death, and his resurrection, they know, atheists know, that they have to change. That they have to move. Because if that truth is true, then that truth demands change. And atheists desire self-preservation like all humanity does. I don't know about you, but if I'm going to fall, what am I going to do? I'm going to put my hands down so I don't fall completely on my face or my head. I'm going to protect myself. We are all about self-preservation, whether it's with our title, our position, or something else in our life. We want to preserve it. That is the root and the foundation of all atheistic arguments, is self-preservation. And in fact, that is the root of all of our arguments of why not to change. Because we like our comfort. We like the status quo. We like to maintain the narratives in our own mind. And here, King Herod is doing the same as you and I so naturally do. King Herod sends off the Magi. And it's interesting. When they arrive to the house, again, it's not the manger, folks. This is well after the shepherds. Our lovely nativity scene over there. I don't even see. I don't think you guys put up the... Did you guys put up the... Uh... Yep, they're there. Yep, they're there. They're in the nativity. Those Magi... They came much later, and they come to the house. They follow the star, and the star appears over the house, and they enter the house. And what do they do? The first thing they do, these pagans from Persia, they bow down and worship the Lord. Isn't it interesting? I find it very interesting. In this story of Jesus Christ's arrival, that Herod missed it. And so did the chief priests and the teachers of the law missed it. They all missed the sign. Of all the people that should see the sign, follow the sign, and meet the Messiah face to face, you would think it would be the chief priests and the teachers of the law. Herod asks the teachers of the law and the chief priests the right question, they get the right answer, 
But you don't see the chief priests and the teachers of the law in any of the nativity scenes, do you? No. Neither do you see King Herod. Who do you see? Shepherds? The lowly? The outcasts of society? And pagan magicians from Persia? They got it right. Of all the people, I would think the religious people, the first century church-going folk, who know the Scripture, who are quick to quote the Scripture, who know the information and the facts, they should be the ones that come and meet the Messiah face to face. But they're not. And in fact, as you unpack the story of the Gospels, it's this group, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, that demand signs and wonders from Jesus Christ. It's these group of people who, despite the signs and the wonders from Jesus Christ, ignore the signs and the wonders. It is this group of people who put into motion Jesus' betrayal and His crucifixion. It is this group of people who stand at the foot of the cross and mock Jesus on His deathbed. They miss the sign. Folks, you may have been coming to church your whole life, but I have to ask you, Are you missing the sign? Have you missed it? Has fear frozen you? Fear of what you might lose? Because essentially that's what fear is. It's that negative projection in the future of what we might actually lose if we step into it. But the story of God, the story of Jesus Christ, the story of Christianity is not about what you will lose. It's all about what you're going to gain. It's about the grace and about the love. It's about the purpose and the intention of your life. It's about you stepping into the life you were created to live. What would have happened if Herod actually came face to face with the Messiah, with the Holy of Holies? Would he have thought twice about killing him? I don't know. I guess we'll never know, will we? Because Herod stayed at a distance. The chief priest stayed at a distance. Are you staying at a distance from the God that wants to be so close He's inside of you? And so, these pagans who have their mythology of their own, probably Zoroastrianism, bow down and worship the king of the Jews, the rightful king of the Jews. Then they open their treasures and they offer gifts of gold, a gift of royalty, incense, and myrrh. 
They got it right. They got it right. They saw the sign and they followed it. And they came face to face with God in flesh. And in that moment, after that moment, they heard word, divine word, hey, you need to go another route. And so they leave. Because why? Herod's intention was self-preservation. Herod's intention was to keep the status quo. To keep life and power and control the way it should be. At least the way he thinks it should be. How many of you here today continue to grasp and claw to keep control in your life? Because you're so afraid of relinquishing the power and the control. When you relinquish that, when you come to that point of surrender, that's when you step into the life that you were created to live. And so, Joseph also receives word. Herod is going to kill the baby, the child. You need to go. You need to take the royal family and go on to Egypt. And that's what they do. Duped, disturbed, paranoid, and narcissistic, Herod, in his anger, goes after and slaughters innocent children two years and under in Bethlehem and in the vicinity. Now, I mentioned earlier that the entrance of Christ, his birth story from the moment Gabriel announced it to Mary to the moment that Joseph, Mary, and Jesus end up in Nazareth all the way through. His entrance points to his exit, his epic exit, his, and his grand re-entrance in the resurrection. Well, let's unpack that for just a second. Because as we look at this, this particular story, in this particular moment, the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ become very apparent. One, we have King Herod, who plays this role, this ruler over Palestine, who slaughters the innocent. It's Herod's paranoia and his power and his self-entitled title of King of the Jews, and Jesus' title, King of the Jews, that really throws a wrench into the plan. In fact, it was during Jesus' trial that Jesus kind of bounced back and forth between Pontius Pilate and this guy named Herod, Herod Antipas. That would be King Herod's son. Jesus bounces back and forth and comes face to face with Pontius Pilate and Herod Antipas. Almost as if it comes full circle for Jesus. Finally, 
He's face to face with a Herod. And it is on the cross that Pontius Pilate, at the offense of the chief priests, mind you, that Pontius Pilate nailed the title, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, right above his head. King Herod's paranoia moved him to slaughter innocents in Bethlehem. And 33 years later, we have Jesus Christ, innocent of all accusations, between two criminals. And it is Jesus Christ, the innocent, who was slaughtered. Just like the innocents at his birth. And like those magi, those pagan magicians from a land far off, who came and saw Jesus face to face and bowed down and worshipped him and opened the treasures before him. Because they followed the star, no less. It was at the cross that he was offered, Jesus was offered before he was nailed. He was offered a drink of wine. And Matthew says it's mixed with gall. That word is myrrh. It was a narcotic. It was to take away the pain, the excruciating pain, to dull it. And as Jesus sipped it, he refused it. And it was in his last moments where he gives up his breath and gives up his spirit that the earth shook and the rocks split. Again, creation speaking in the moment. And at this moment... It's the pagan Roman centurion at the foot of the cross that declares, surely this is the Son of God. Just like the pagan magi declared in their gifts. But see, that's not all. That myrrh is this tricky moment. This tricky item at his birth it's before he is nailed to the cross and then at the permission of Pontius Pilate Nicodemus and Joseph of Arimathea two secret disciples that stayed in the shadows they came out into the light once Jesus had died and they approached Pilate and they said they requested permission to take his body off the cross and They took 75 pounds of aloe and myrrh and prepared Jesus' body for burial. Putting that on His body and wrapping His body in fresh linen. Kind of like when He was born, He was wrapped in swaddling cloths. And he was lie, laid in the empty tomb. Never been used. See, folks, 
in his entrance, it's very apparent that his exit is there. It was a it was a Sunday. I don't know why I was at church that that afternoon. But uh it could have been because of a youth event or I had just stayed around the church for a while. But I decided to go into the darkened sanctuary at Xenia Nazarene. And when I opened and, and the sanctuary is very much like ours here today, except it's like three sizes bigger with a balcony. And it was the same orange pews. No joke, man. Um, And so I just decided to go into that darkened sanctuary and I, I opened one of the doors and I moved across that threshold from a brightened lobby that was filled with artificial and natural light into a very dark sanctuary. And I had to feel my way around to find a pew because my eyes hadn't adjusted yet. So I I sat down in a pew and it was right under the balcony. And I, I just sat there. And you know how it is when you move from dark to light or from light to dark, your eyes takes a while for you to adjust. So I just sat there in the darkness and it kind of contrasted from you know, weekly worship gatherings where there's motion and music and movement. It was just the still quiet with thick darkness all around me. And as my eyes were adjusting, I could see outlines appearing and objects starting to kind of make sense for my eyes as my irises kind of grew in size. And as I just sat there in this thick darkness, I began to notice something that stuck out in the sanctuary. It was right above the doors. You probably guessed it. It's the exit signs. And they weren't bright at all. It was just this glowing red that said exit. And I began to think, I was still fairly a new believer in Christ. I was new to Scripture. I was like feeling my way around this whole thing called faith. And things just started to make sense in that moment. As I sat there in the darkness, I started to think about our darkness our brokenness, our damage, our confusion. And I looked at those exit signs, glowing in red, and Jesus made a little bit more sense to me. Because it is through His exit, through His blood, that we actually enter God's presence. It is through His exit that we enter the light. It is through the light of the world 
being snuffed out. That we become the light of the world. And you might be sitting here today asking yourself, wondering, will your story ever change? Will your brokenness ever be put back together again? Will the damage and the darkness ever be transformed? You may wonder, is this all there is to my life? And I just charge you to look at the sign. Look at the sign of His entrance. And you will see the sign of His exit and His resurrection. And you will understand that through His exit, you can enter in new life. That you can have a new story. That you, though you may feel damaged and broken, nothing is wasted to God. And you'll be clean again for the first time. I'd ask that you stand. If that is you, maybe the Christmas story made sense for you for the first time. Maybe you had an epiphany. That life-changing understanding that the story of Christ is to be written in your life. That your life may have a new theme. Maybe you're sitting around and you're looking at all the darkness. The sign is there for your exit. Would you mind bowing your heads? If that's you, and you really need to exit that darkness, and you really need to exit that damage, and come to His presence that can really shine forth through those cracks and those crevices to bring brightness to your life and other people's lives. If, if that's you, and you have never stepped into faith, for fear of what you'll lose. I can tell you, you're going to gain much more. I just want you to pray along with me a simple prayer. It's, it's not complicated. It's not magic. But it's a genuine prayer. Jesus, I give you my life. That's the prayer. Pray along with me. Jesus, I I give you my life. Jesus, I want to exit this darkness. I want to move. I want to live a life of intention and purpose. 
in you. God, I want to enter your light. I want to enter your presence. I want to enter my future. Jesus, I give you my life. If that was you for the first time, I ask that you just raise your hand right now that I may know that that was you and celebrate along with you. If you've been in church your whole life and you have missed the sign and today you actually saw it for the first time, you actually get it and you believe it, I'd like for you just to raise your hand that I may know and pray for you. Father, we stand before you. I'm in awe of you. And I want to say thank you. Thank you for the beauty of the story of your birth, Jesus. And God, thank you for being such an author that embedded in this story is, is your, your death and resurrection. And that embedded in this story is our new life and our forgiveness of sins. Embedded in this story is eternal life. And embedded in this story is a new life, a new story for us. Lord, I pray, my prayer is that your truth transforms us on the inside. That it may transform our communities. In the name of Jesus Christ. So we offer this up to you, Lord God. We thank you so much for who you are. And it's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Folks, may you love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul, and your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Have a happy new year. We'll see you next year. Thank you for listening to the Wapak Naz podcast. We hope you are moved deeply to step into God and the hope and future he has for you. And that you are moved to be salt, light, and yeast in your community and to love people to Jesus.